You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Giant Splash podcast. I'm your host, Chronicle Giants beat writer Susan Slesser, and our guest today is Giants manager, manager Gabe Kapler. Gabe is getting ready for spring training. We're finally kind of getting a handle on uh, when exactly it's starting. This The date is still, you know, it, it's still set now from what we understand, and you guys will be heading down there in the next week. Uh, Gabe, so far, uh, how are things looking as as you're getting things ready? What What's your priority at this point with basically, you know, not, not even a week left before you guys open camp? Yeah, I think it's so interesting um, as, as you were kind of talking through the timeline, I was kind of chuckling to myself because we're we're already here in Scottsdale, so many of us. And like today really felt like a normal spring training day in so many ways. And um, I walked off the field, I don't know, 15 minutes ago or so, and we had an entire crew of pitchers playing catch uh, down the left field line. Our training room was full. Our weight room was full. Um, we're doing a really nice job of staggering players, but it speaks to the hunger level of our players and, and, and the dedication and, and our staff as well that, it almost feels like a, a full camp. And to your point, we're still a week away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So, I mean, it's a really, really exciting time, Susan. And before we get too far down the road, thanks for thanks for having me and, and for you know continuing to, to have meaningful conversations on your podcast and, and also um, publicly with your writing. Oh well, thanks for that's very nice of you, Gabe. It's very nice to have you on. Right, right. As we're kind of getting all getting going, I think everybody's excited. It's interesting that you guys have players there already. Uh, the safety protocols uh, have just come out this week, and uh, there's some interesting things. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, did you guys have to to wait to um, have players in bef- until the safety protocols came out? How how did uh, that all work, or did you just kind of use the best practices from last year? Well, there's best practices from across baseball, but then we also had a, a full intake process. And so, um, there, there are some local, play, we're, we're some local players here in Scottsdale already participating in voluntary workouts um, at the ballpark. It, it might not surprise you or your listeners to find out that there are quite a few players who, who live here in Scottsdale and, and quite a few staff members who do as well. Um, so they have been coming to the ballpark regularly. I've already been here for, for several weeks. Um, I did that in part because we have all of those players and staff members already at the ballpark. And while I was going to Oracle and um, connecting with Buster and Slates, or uh, Austin Slater, who were already at, at the ballpark, it was just those two players. So I felt like it made more sense to be here in Scottsdale because um, from Craw to Longoria um, to Dave Greshner to several of our staff members and many other players who, who live local. In Arizona, it just felt a little bit more efficient. With respect to the protocols now that are in place, we have a full intake process where players come in and test, family members come in and test, and then there's a quarantine period um, of about 36 hours. Once quarantine is is cleared and, and test 
come back negative, we're allowed to enter the, the ballpark as usual, uh, paying close attention to those uh, health and safety protocols going forward. Oh, that's great. Uh, among the things that they mentioned in the protocols that came out this week were uh, that everybody will be sort of wearing a wearable device. What's your understanding of what that is and, and what kind of the, the reasoning for it is? Yeah, so I just had a conversation with, with Dave Greshner, um, our, our lead of medical, our head athletic trainer, and uh, we discussed the, the wearables and, and specifically what I believe they're designed to do. And I'm just in the infancy stages of fully understanding that it's all, you know, quite new. So forgive me if I don't you know, speak totally intelligently on this topic. They're, they're designed to um, improve contact tracing. So rather than, you know, if, if, there, if there ever is a, a positive test, rather than just taking a, a player's download or a staff member's download about who they've come into close contact with, this device will, will, will track and log that information if, if everybody is wearing these devices. And again, I'm, I'm not sure exactly um, how that's going to work. The other thing that I think is really interesting that Gresh let me know is that it, the device will give us a heads up if we're nearing that limit where we might be bumping up against that close contact um, threshold. Oh. So if there's a specific number of times that you need to be talking to somebody or in somebody else's presence, you get to that threshold and then you're considered uh, a close contact. But this device is going to give us potentially warnings, either a buzz or a sound that lets us know, hey, it's time to go you know, do something else so you're not considered one of those um, close contacts. So again, just want to reiterate, don't have all of the information yet kind of speaking after a few preliminary conversations, but this is my understanding so far. Oh, that's really interesting. Now, the, the things that um, I think that we've all been kind of waiting to find out uh, that potentially really might have some ramifications for your team are uh, no, D, no DH this year, uh, and you guys have an awful lot of guys who you potentially could have used in that spot, uh, and no expanded playoffs, which, you know, last year the expanded playoffs, you, you guys were right in it right down to the end. So first of all, let's take the DH. How, how does that potentially af affect your team? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, most simply, it just it means that we have to start getting our pitchers ready to hit again. You know, it's been a while since we've, we've taken those steps and, and, and ready to, to, to bunt again. And then ultimately, I think, for planning purposes, some, some players that we may have allocated for DH at bats, we're going to have to be a little bit more creative. You know, very frankly and openly, I think there, we, there's a sentiment that, that Flores, by way of example, would be taking down a lot of DH reps, and Darren Ruff might take down quite a few DH reps, maybe, maybe Tommy or Stella. And others, for that matter, we, we really like to use that spot to rotate players through rather than say we have, have one DH. Um, and what we're going to be needing to do now is, is just be more creative about how we deploy those bats um, and getting you know, making sure that we, we get them reps at, at as many positions as possible. And by way of example, I'm sure this is a perfect example. We know he can play first, second, and third, and we may even consider just a few reps in the outfield just in case. Not saying that we're definitely going to do that, but it's it's one consideration. Um, you know, I'll say that like Tommy Lastella can play first, second, and third. We're going to make sure that we get him the, the reps in those locations. Darren Ruff can move into the outfield, but he can also play some first base. Um, whereas we may have wanted to use the DH spot to get uh, Buster Posey or, or Kirk Casale off their feet once. Wow, we know that's not an option now. 
just going to have to be creative about how to make sure that we're getting these back into the lineup on a regular basis. And the playoffs um, go back to n- no expansion. So how does that affect things when you guys are playing in such a loaded division? Obviously, you've got the World Series champions, the Dodgers, and then the Padres, who absolutely loaded up an already very good team. Does does this change? I mean, every manager wants his team to win as many games as possible, and I'm sure that doesn't change. But yeah. it, does does somehow this impact you in, in any way on sort of a day-to-day level or a, or a season goal potential level? No, I think I think you're you're approaching it in the right way, and I and I actually think you you said it um, quite simply. Like we have to win as many baseball games as we can. Uh, it doesn't really matter what what the what the playoff format is, and we still have the same jobs to do, which is um, come out of the regular season having you know won as many games as possible. And I just don't see how this influences us at all. Look, like would we prefer to have? Um, more more opportunities to get into the postseason. I don't think there's a, a team that wouldn't say that that's, there's some attractiveness to that. But our goal always, and I share this philosophy with our players, is to be as good as we possibly can be with within the current construct, within within what the, the rules suggest and what the um, what the playoff format is. And I just don't see that changing very much. If I am going to um, if our players are going to stay focused on the things that they can control, then we as leaders, coaches, need to be focused on the things that we can control as well. And, and that's how we approach um, every every baseball game in isolation. The, there have also been reports that there's a new ball for this year. And that it's, I mean, every year it's a new ball, but um, the reports indicate that, that this year it might be a little deader, uh, playing a little bit deader. Does that, um, you guys obviously have done some things with the fences and, and other, other um, you know, as, as you know, the year before last, the Giants did not hit a ton of home runs. Do, how does this change things potentially? And have, have you guys actually seen or been able to, to get a look at this, the new ball and see how it plays? Yeah, so I'm, I don't think I, I think I missed the beginning part of that question, but I'm pretty sure you're just kind of asking how, how the baseballs, and, and potential changes in the baseball might influence. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 again, this is actually similar to um, the playoff conversation. I just can't imagine that we're going to tell Brandon Belt or Brandon Crawford or or Yaz or any other player to go up to the to the plate and do anything differently. Now, what this might do is make certain profiles more valuable than others. Um, but these are so those profiles would be um, do you hunt pitches and only pitches that you can drive, and do you lay off pitches and be especially passive on pitches that you can't drive? So players who do those two things may become slightly more valuable, and maybe a player who you know runs into a ball once in a while and and benefits from it going you know ten or fifteen feet over the wall may not be as valuable. Uh, but I just don't think it changes our emphasis on that profile. So we are going to teach our hitters to do just that, especially passive on pitches you can't drive, especially aggressive on pitches you can. And and those two things, without looking at any other metrics that we have proven those two areas, um, we're going to maximize our chances to do good work with a ball that's super lively or a ball that's not quite as lively. 
Sounds sounds like a plan. Well, I was going to ask about Tommy Listella in particular a little bit later, but he kind of dovetails in with that because he actually yeah, spoke to that. us the other day about his approach to hitting, and he is very much like that. You know, he will pick a pitch to drive if he feels it like it's the right time, if it's the right pitch, if it's the right count. Uh, but otherwise, he, as, as I think everybody knows at this point, he's really kind of a master of contact. How he, He's obviously such a valuable addition anyway, but how much uh, would potentially that kind of, uh, the, those ramifications of maybe a slightly deader ball, how much does that even increase his someone like his value and, you know, the fact that he can basically be the model for the rest of your team when they see how he's approaching things. Yeah, no, I think that's the right, the right way to think about it. Um, so I, I think Tommy is, is not just a model for, for our team. I mean, he's kind of a model for, for the league right now. Um, you know, any player that, that walks more than he, he punches out stands out when you, when you look at a stat sheet. Um, but it's not just about what Tommy does on the, on the stat sheet that's impressive. And we saw him for two different teams last year, but also um, most of us who have been around the game for a while have studied his performance for quite some time. He's one of the more competitive players in the batter's box. He just knows how to spoil a good pitcher's pitch. Um, he knows how to get the bat on it without actually putting it in, in play um, and, and producing weak contact. And, and like you said, he's also pretty capable of picking out a pitch to drive in more recently in the last calendar year or more. Um, he's really been driving the baseball. And, and finally, like, he's very comfortable taking a walk. And I just want to be very clear about this philosophically. Um, our hitting coaches, myself, we have no interest in developing passive players. The goal is not to go up to the plate and draw walks. Walks are a byproduct of this style and, and this approach at the plate. And, and this approach is, okay, so um, I'm going to look for one pitch in particular. Maybe I know that the pitcher on the mound, if I'm talking to Stella, is going to work me away. So I'm going to look for that pitch that is both away but on the plate enough for me to drive it into left center field um, to, to the opposite field. But if I don't get that pitch, I'm very comfortable going deep into the count and in some cases, you know, drawing a walk at the end of the, at, at the end of the at-bat. And so it's that mindset and that approach that you can see with your eyes. You have to look at his walk rate or his strikeout rate to see how competitive and how focused he is on that approach. All you have to do is watch him in the batter's box. Yeah, just a smart hitter. Really fun to watch his at-bats. You know, you, I think people think of, you know, the guy you, you don't want to miss the at-bat as like the big slugger. You don't go buy a beer when the big slugger's up. But I love watching Tommy. Guys like Tommy Lasella. Jed Lowry, who was with the A's for a number of years when I was covering the A's, guys like that hit because they're just so smart. You can kind of see them thinking along with the pitcher and along with the the very you know from from at bat to bat and what the situation is. It's really that's that's for me is some of the best parts of baseball. Now, um, what were your top takeaways from last season? Obviously, it was a shortened season. Uh, you know, it's sometimes hard to project off a, a very short season like that. Um, but your team, to me, to watching from afar, obviously, uh, looked like you guys really got better over the course of the season, which I would imagine for a manager, especially a first-year manager, that's really what you're looking for most of all. Yeah, so this is actually going to come off as a little tongue-in-cheek, and I hope it does, but uh, my main takeaway was that Tommy Rosella was not on another 
and, and was on ours and we might have been in the playoffs. Because <laughs> he, you know, he, 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 he walked us off when we played the Angels and we, were, we fell one game short. That's uh, right. But, but seriously, I, I, think the, I, think, I think one main takeaway is we had an offense that was very productive in, in 2020. Um, and in particular, we got bounced back years from a few of our veteran hitters, guys like Brandon Crawford and, and Brandon Bell. Evan Longoria, uh, especially in the first half, was, was, was good. And then his defense was, was excellent. So we knew that in order for us to be competitive, we were going to need to get those bounce back years. We also know that going forward, in order for us to, to, to reach our goal and, and get into the postseason, we're going to need um, those guys to reproduce those kind of years. And the additions that we've made to the roster, some of our, our really interesting um, NRI guys, and then you know guys like Whistler stand out. Now, I also think a takeaway is that, that last year we knew what the projections said we could do. And, and we... We ignored those, and we know what the projections are going to say this year in division with the Padres and, and the Dodgers. And so we are going to have to ignore those projections one more time and, and really understand that in order for us to reach our goals, we're going to need to outperform those projections. So one way to do that, and this is a takeaway from last year, is stay very focused on, on the wins that are right in front of us. And, and those are not the wins um, you know, every night they're the wins in the conversations. So if we're having a conversation with Tyler Beatty, by way of example, and trying to get the healthiest version of, of him and kind of planning out his, his throwing program and, and thinking about when he might make his debut, helping him dream about that. So that we have to walk away from that conversation thinking we just got to win and we just notch that win. If Kai is working with some of our infielders, on the dirt and, and those workouts are going especially well. We're getting more um, lateral mobility by way of example, more accurate throws across the diamond. In those practice sessions, if we're walking away from them, feeling like we got to win, we need to, we need to notch those, chalk them up, celebrate them. If we're focused on those small wins throughout camp and, and throughout the beginning parts of the season, all the way through the season, of course, I think that gives us our best chance to kind of, um, ignore those projections like I mentioned. We'll be back with more with Giants manager Gabe Kapler in just a moment. But a reminder, you can find full Giants and Major League Baseball coverage at sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The team's in a really kind of interesting phase. You've got a lot of really, you know, very accomplished veteran players. You've got some young players. And there, as everyone knows, there are a lot of really good prospects, some of whom might be guys who could contribute as, as soon as this year. As a manager, how do you how do you kind of put all of that together? Uh, you know, somebody, again, from the outside might look at this and say, 
well, it's maybe not quite a rebuild, but you're playing maybe for the future, you know, other seasons, especially given the complexion of your division. And certainly, you know, getting some young guys some experience, et cetera, is, I'm sure important. But how do you in the front office kind of juggle all of those things? So I, th I think it's a really interesting distinction that you make um, and a fair one, which is like, how do you in the front office juggle that? And, and I, I hope and, and assume that the distinction you're making, and I believe it, is that the front office and the manager, um, while we are, we're, we're seeing the big picture together and thinking through things together, the manager's job and the player's job is, is not to think about whether it's rebuild. It's not to think about whether, um, you know, where we are in, in our progression within that rebuild. It's our job to try to win today. It's our job to try to win as many games as possible. So um, whether that's with a collection of young players, a nice mix of young players and, uh, and, and veteran players, whether it's thinking out in advance, in advance a little bit, some new guys on a 40-man roster like Santos and, and Castro um, and Doval, like these guys making an impact at some point in, in our season this year, we, we need to be thinking about and hoping for that. So I, I really do think, from my perspective, we have to be thinking about winning today, now, because that, that's all that matters. Now, we can, I can take a step back, and I can analyze this big picture, but once I'm at the ballpark and I've got my uniform on, my, my job is to just do everything that I possibly can to help us win tonight. That makes sense, for sure. Now, uh, spring is a time of competition. Um, you, you guys look set in a lot of different areas. What to you feels like the, the areas you most want to kind of be watching for, in terms of competition? Yeah, so, look, I mean, the, the, the roster is, is still developing. So I, I think that those things are going to, they, they may change. We may have more competition in spots that, that we didn't expect to have competition. But I think... Um, without like bringing any any names into this, I think there's some really interesting opportunities to earn spots in the bullpen and and in the rotation. Um, I think for the most part, our our positions are are you know pretty well spoken for. Um, and so again, without addressing them bit by bit, I would say that the, the there's there's going to be competition everywhere, and we always want to run a camp where players feel like there's opportunities to take down as many at bats as possible and on the mound as many innings as possible. Um, and, and that said, I, I think, like, we, your point is fair. We have um, some positions that are, that are a little bit more locked down and others that have um, more openings. But I'd say the bullpen, uh, some opportunities to earn jobs. And yeah. who, who else do you kind of see in the mix there for, for the back end? I mean, I think a couple of guys that stand out are, are, are Tyler Rogers. He did a really nice job and some high-leverage spots. I think Caleb Berger is a guy that can take down some, some leverage innings for us. And, you know, one of the things I'll say about the, the closers role um, is that it, 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 it's always up for grabs. We are always looking for somebody to take control of that role and say, look, if I, I am the pitcher. I am the player that deserves to close games. And last year, we just didn't have that person step up and, and take control of that role. It's not a role that you just you know give to one individual. It's it's, it's very much earned. Now sometimes you, you end up signing a player that there's just no question this person you know should be the closer. You signed 
Mariano, Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, those guys are going to be your closer. But, but short of the elite closers in the game, you always want to walk into this with, with that being an open spot where somebody's going to you know, grab control of it and say, this is, this is my job. And how do you see things with the with the fifth starter spot? You you obviously you know you you go probably six or maybe even seven deep right now with the, with your potential rotate rotation candidates. But uh, you know your top top four are probably set. How do you see things with the with the fifth spot? Or could it be just as fluid as as you're thinking maybe with the bullpen? Yeah, no, I I think that there's again I, I don't don't want to like overstate this, but I think there's still time to to sign players and, and there, there may be more players that, that end up in our camp than what we have right now. Um, as it stands, I think we do have a, a few locks. I think, you know, we know who those are. And, um, you know, Gosman and, and Cueto and, and Descofani um, certainly have, have spots. Um, Alex Wood is certainly going to be a guy that, that's going to be in our rotation. And, you know, Webby did, um, Logan Webb did such a nice job at times last year. I think he's got a, a real beat on, on a spot in the rotation. He's going to be very competitive for one of those. Tyler Beatty certainly, you know, comes to mind as somebody who could, um, when he's healthy, compete for a spot in our rotation. Um, and we've got some other really interesting candidates. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun this camp. What, what is the, the injury report with, first of all, Tyler, and then Brandon Belt, who uh, um, you, uh, I think is, it sounds like might be a little bit iffy for the start of camp. So Brandon has has looked great. I, mean, I saw him here in Scottsdale, came in for an assessment. Um, the heel is, is so much better. Um, he's just he's just in really good shape, he's in really strong physical condition. So I wouldn't want to put any limitations on him. It's possible that you know we he he starts a, a little bit late, but you know I'm not prepared at this point to say um, he's definitely going to be behind. With Dee, I'm very confident that. He's not going to break camp with us. He's not going to be on our on our open day roster. However, there is some variability there, so um, it, it's possible that, that he comes back a little bit sooner than expected. And I think you know, if you if you took a poll of, of people around the league, they, they might say um, he'd be ready for game action at some point in, from the middle of May to to June, for example. But I think there's some possibility that that timeline is sped up just a little bit. And also, whenever somebody's coming back from a major surgery like like Tyler is, there's a possibility that we need to slow things down. What we'll do with BD is pay very close attention to what he's reporting, how he's bouncing back and how he's recovering, as well as some measurables, like velocity and, and some spin rate stuff and, and certainly some, some um, range and, and mobility factors as well. Oh, that's great. Now, my last baseball specific question especially since we're going into spring and people get excited about the the young players that they haven't seen before uh who kind of stands out to you who do you really want to take a look at among the young guys the the prospects that that everyone keeps hearing about obviously you've seen some of them uh last year in camp but uh who really kind of piques your interest well Lamont is super fascinating to me um so we we discussed a little bit uh the like kind of unique profile that, that Tommy Rosella is. Um, Lamont Wade has similar characteristics. He does a really nice job of looking over the baseball, hunting pitches that he can drive. He's got a nice track record of contact um, at the minor league level, a little bit at the major league level as well. So Wade stands out as a guy who I, I could see taking 
more meaningful reps for us um, in the outfield and, and against right-handed pitching. And then I think that, that Jalen Davis has not necessarily gotten enough look. Um, and this, this his engine is, is just so good. Um, he's an explosive, powerful package who can hit the ball out, out of the ballpark to all fields. He's got a really good arm. And we just really haven't seen enough of Jalen. So I remain excited about what, what he can bring to the table. And then Caleb Berger, I still think Caleb is, you know, a young player who, who just got his feet wet last year, but guy's kind of the limit uh, for him. And I think we saw what he can do when, when his fastball is, is alive and he can beat some of the best hitters in the game. Um, I'm kind of excited about Kermit Castro as well. New to our 40 man, um, not a lot of experience above the A ball level, but real good command of, of three pitches of fastball, a changeup and a curveball. A little bit of a deceptive delivery, steps across his body, hides the baseball a little bit, but really mature, um, interesting approach. Guys, I think it's possible that he can, he can make an impact in our bullpen in, in 21 at some point. Oh, wow. Interesting. You guys keep getting um, mentioned very highly in um, prospect rankings, including I think most recently, I think the Athletic had the uh, you know you guys right up there with uh, some of the other top teams. So for a manager, what's how exciting is it to to look around and see where your organization is listed when you've got the kind of talent that appears like it's up and coming? Definitely exciting for a manager. Now, I can tell you, having, having seen this from a couple of different angles, that having a pipeline of, of players uh, to come up and, and step into important roles, the, the importance of that can't be overstated. And so just knowing what Kyle Haynes, our final director, is doing with our minor league system to, to continue to develop and, and challenge our prospects, knowing that, I mean, I don't think anybody pays closer attention and is, is more well-versed on our young players and Kyle, um, Michael Holmes, our scouting director, just does a really nice job of injecting our system with, with good young talent. Um, and so as much as anything, I, I really respect and appreciate the people that are in place. Um, they get us these young players, develop these young prospects. And when they get to the big league level, um, they're, they're ready, uh, not just physically, but mentally. Fantastic. Well, Moving away from baseball, uh, I talked to you the other day about the charity initiative that you launched on Monday with your longtime business partner, Stephanie St. Amour, uh, Pipeline for Change. And it's fascinating how it came about. You guys have been talking about maybe doing something like this. It sounds like for more than a year, but you really started kind of zeroing in on what you might be able to do during the quarantine period. Uh, give us a little bit of an overview about what the program is and what you hope to accomplish. Sure. I'm, I'm glad you're giving me an opportunity to talk about it, and I appreciate it. Um, and as I thought about it, even since you and I discussed and before you wrote your, your fantastic piece and, and gave us that exposure, um, I, I thought back to last season, you know, during that quarantine period. And not starting with the murder of George Floyd, but around that time, we, we had a lot of time to sit back and think about the systemic racism that our society was encountering and, and how to combat some of that. Um, and we, we, were, we were hit with a lot of mental health concerns around COVID as well. Um, we, we witnessed a ton of violence, both with guns and without guns. Um, some issues uh, across our society with 
with suicide and and that was kind of um illuminated and, and, and front and center with with the drew robinson story i know a lot of your listeners are, are familiar with with drew and, and his his suicide attempt earlier in the year and and what all of this is to say is that like change is desperately needed in our society diversity um equity and and inclusion is is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about as you mentioned stephanie is as well in one area that we felt like we can make an immediate impact kind of in all of these areas is to get a more diverse group of leadership into um direction setting positions across sports we think i think that uh, when you have a more diverse group of decision makers you have less violence you have less mental health concerns because we're thinking about solving these issues with a more diverse group of thinkers and so that means there are better and more creative critical thinkers in the room so pipeline for change is is driving towards putting um women people of color um, members of the lgbtq plus community other marginalized groups uh, people with physical disabilities into these decision-making positions we have more people in these decision-making positions we think we're going to be able to make an impact in solving some of these um very deep deeply rooted societal issues and you're providing grants for um, members of these communities who might not be able to necessarily afford educational opportunities or clinics or internships uh, to help them be able to maybe uh, take advantage of some of the opportunities. And my understanding is, you know, as, as things progress, that uh, there might even be ways to, to help encourage different organizations or even leagues uh, and, and MLB has, has been actually kind of a leader with some of their, their pipeline projects for diversity. Um, but, but in kind of making sure that people not only are getting opportunities, but advancing as they do it too. Right. So you mentioned the grants and I think that's a great way to do two things. Number one, um, create, you know, a broader education, um, so that like when the time comes for these marginalized communities to really make an impact in, in sports, they're, they're even better equipped than they already naturally are. Um, and then the second is to expose these communities to what jobs are available in sports. Because I think oftentimes when we think about, you know, maybe we just think about coaching, maybe we think about front office, but we don't realize um, how many positions are open in in ticket sales and, and groundskeeping, um, in in analytics. In these these baseball and sports organizations are, are oftentimes billion dollar businesses. So there are all all sorts of, of interesting roles available. So kind of opening up some of those doors as well is, is important. But you mentioned it, Susan, and I believe it strongly. Mentoring um, advocacy programs for some of these communities once they, they do get their, their foot in the door, helping them advance through the system, stay in the system, and then ultimately take down the most important jobs. And, and so that we have the representation that we need is, is something that, that I'm, and as you mentioned, Stephanie is, is very, very passionate about, and we're going to be putting a lot of effort into 
And you have grant applications already up. People can look at the website, Pipeline for Change. Uh, and if you know of anybody that might have interest, please send them straight to that website because it's up and running and, and ready for business. Gabe Kapler, thanks so much for joining us on Giant Splash. And uh, we will be seeing you, I think, here in the next uh, week or so, which is very exciting. Can't wait, Susan. Thanks for the thanks for the platform and, and for uh, just being so thoughtful about making sure that I had an opportunity to share about Pipeline for Change. And it's really fun to have my very first long form discussion on baseball. It's been a while, so like feel like uh, we've got some some rust off. We've got a more <laughs> bigger Zoom call on Friday, so I'll be ready for it. But but for thanks for having me. I enjoyed run. the conversation. Practice run for both of us. I'm still trying to learn all your forty man roster, Gabe. So you're, gonna, you're probably gonna have to cut some slack wait. here and there. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll 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 both get each other up to speed on all of that. Excellent. Yep. I'm like Listella and who else? So, fantastic. right, right. It's always it's always easy to have have the big names, but I think like the 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 ones that fans are going to get excited about are the the roster ads, kind of at the margins with, yeah. with the first time forty man guys, the the relievers that I mentioned, Santos, Duvall, um, and and Kerwin Castro. Hey, you guys had a, a non roster signing, Zach Littell, uh last week. Uh, that I'm really excited mm -hmm. about because I remember him from two years ago with the Twins looking really, really very good. So he could be a little bit of an under-the-radar. Uh, there's a bunch of guys. There, like all the, all the pickups have all been, uh, I think, really interesting. And I think Giant Spring Training should be a, a fascinating. So I'm looking forward to reporting on it and hopefully getting the names right. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get up and running soon. Thanks so much for joining us, Gabe. Thanks, Susan. We'll talk soon. Our thanks again to Gabe Kapler for joining us on Giant Splash. Our producers today are G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again next week with more Giant Splash. Thanks for listening. <laughs>